Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's Talking Biotech podcast. It's a special episode. I had an opportunity to sit down with three young women from the University of Florida who are out with a campaign to fight false information. And it was really exciting to sit down and learn from them what their perspective was and the resources they're using to help people better understand, is something true? It was really a good time because... Hannah, Courtney, and Tammy, they really show how good today's students are because they're out trying to change the world by helping people understand what's real and what's not. So here we go. This episode is brought to you by Calabra, the data monitoring platform designed to reveal research insights and streamline reporting across your organization. With Calabra, you'll gain a comprehensive view of your research workflows, simplifying scientific IP governance, compliance, and analysis. Visit Collabra.app to learn how you can transform your research process today. C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's Talking Biotech podcast by Collabra. Now, over the last couple of years, we've really spent a lot of time talking more about how we know if information is good. And we've seen an increasing rise in the areas of misinformation and disinformation. We talked about this before, which really is clouding the scientific conversation, especially around important issues like genetic engineering, vaccines, climate, evolution in some states. So how do we sort out what's real and what's not? And what kind of advocacy is being done to help the public understand? And so I was fortunate to find three students at the University of Florida, which this podcast has no affiliation with University of Florida, got to say that. <laughs> but I'm just going to have you introduce yourselves, and we'll um, go into what you do and why you're doing it. So let me start anywhere you like. So hi, I'm Courtney. Um, I'm one of the members of this Bateman team this year, um, and we're really working on our campaign, Get the Facts Before You Act, with the News Literacy Project to um, stop the spread of misinformation. Yes, this is the News Literacy Project. Okay, thank you. And then, Hi, um, I'm Tammy Nguyen. I'm also a member of this year's Bateman team. Um, and I'm Hannah Schaff, also a member of this year's Bateman team. So really the first question is, what is this competition? And is it a national thing or what is this? Okay, so every year um, the UF Public Relations Student Society of America, our chapter at UF, puts together a team called the Bateman Team. This is a national competition where we compete against around 75 other universities. So the Public Relations Society of America assigns a client every year to all of the teams, um, and we compete against other universities to produce um, the best campaign that we can. And when you're, what are you actually competing with, though? I mean, so you're, you're saying this is a, did you say a Bateman Team? Yes. So it's, You're not removing asbestos or something, right? So it's um, called the Bateman Competition in honor of a former PRSA member. So that's just um, the name that they give. Oh, Bateman. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. That makes sense. (laughs) So what exactly are you doing in the competition? I mean, what is this a competition? How, How do you know you've succeeded? 
So the brief that we were given by the News Literacy Project and our partnership with them is trying to create a national movement, um, starting here locally and trying to reach 18 to 34 year olds um, across like specific demographics because misinformation specifically targets marginalized communities like black, Latino, and rural consumers in news desert areas who don't have the same access to news literacy resources. So part of what we're trying to do is not only create a movement to like empower individuals to know that they can stop the spread of misinformation, but also raise awareness for the resources that the News Literacy Project has so that they can like expose themselves to that and then use them to recognize misinformation wherever they encounter it. So the problem we're trying to correct then is the problem of helping the consumer recognize real information from not good information. Is that ultimately where we're going? Exactly. Yes, and provide people with the tools to do so. And provide people. I teach a class on this now. <laughs> I actually started one of these quest courses to do that. And we talk about we're flooded by information. How do we know what's good? And how do we test that? And that's really cool. Um, so where is most bad information coming from right now? Our research found, um, we did surveys and focus groups, and we found that most people get their information and news online, and that's where they consume it the most, but that's also the least trustworthy source of information. And they, while they get um, information from print media the least, that's the source that they trust the most. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like, there's so much media and information and news that's just like flooding us online that people don't really know when to recognize misinformation and what to believe. And so this is online, you know. <laughs> And I neglected to mention, we're at the Hale Farmer's Market, so we're sitting outside talking about all the noises in the background. Um, you mentioned the idea that this sometimes affects marginalized communities the most. And why is that they are more vulnerable? Is it that more false information targets them, or is it um, maybe a different amount of training that happens in recognizing good information? I guess that I would say that the marginalized communities, it's its because that they come from communities that don't have the same access to like the resources that we have. And they're, they're going through information online. A lot of like rural consumers live in news desert areas, so they're only getting information from specific sources and not like really getting like nonpartisan objective reporting. Yeah, that's really, a, that's a problem everywhere, isn't it? Mm -hmm. How much of this is due to people just trying to confirm what they already believe? We found a lot um, in our research of people who, you know, we, we did a survey on the greater community of Gainesville, and about 50% of people said that they will do less research on information they see online if it aligns with their beliefs. So there are a lot of people who are in, you know, echo chambers where, you know, the algorithms will push things that they normally say and they normally believe, and then that's the main information that you're seeing. So, you know, a lot of people will not take that extra step to, like, look at one more source when, you know, they see something that aligns with their beliefs and, you know, it's immediately trusted because it does align with them. And that's really the big problem, isn't it? Yes. I mean, we're and that because it allows people to stop with, oh, I found something that believes that aligns with exactly what I believe. No matter how crazy it is, you can find something that confirms your bias online, right? And so, how do we how do we solve that problem? I think a lot of that comes from like just ensuring that your the reporting that you're seeing is objective. Um, so you know, seeing the source that published the information, making sure it's not altered or manipulated content. Um, and you know, if you can look at the source and see, you know, who is who published this article, who wrote this article, does it come from a trusted nonpartisan reporting source? I think that's a good place to start. Um, and if you are looking at something that could be a source that leans one more direction, maybe look at something that leans the other direction and see their take on that, you know, that story or that issue. Um, and then you can kind of compare the two and see if there are differences or similarities or bias in the reporting. 
Yeah, so I guess that makes some sense, but what, what a, I always disagreed with the idea of we need to show both sides, right? Mm -hmm. Or we should be introducing people to both sides because 50% of the time, one of the sides is wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so how do we cope with that? I mean, as a scientist, I wrestle with this every day with reading false information online or else I'll be interviewed by a magazine for something I'm an expert in. And then, they'll, and then when the magazine article comes out and they'll say, my whole thing, and then they'll say, but so-and-so disagrees, and it's, it, you know, it's somebody's aunt, you know, that they, that they just, you know, I asked my aunt, and she says he's wrong, you know. So how do we get around the idea of, of the reporting side bias, or is there a way to do that, or is this ultimately solved by dealing with making a better informed consumer? I think that a lot of it comes down to individual behaviors and just taking that extra step. Um, even if it doesn't mean reading both sides of the news necessarily, just realizing which that you are reading both sides, that there are two sides to everything, um, and that there are also objective reporters out there. Um, we've been working with the News Literacy Project a lot to raise awareness of the resources that they have for these specific things. Um, they have a platform called Rumor Guard, which allows you to analyze the source, context, authenticity, reasoning, and evidence. So in a lot of ways, these like third-party fact-checkers can be really helpful um, when you're consuming information. We know that there's so much information that comes at us so quickly nowadays, so um, having tools like that can also be the difference that you need to make sure your information is correct. And do you think that people actually use something like Rumor Guard? I mean, I, maybe we would, right? right. Because we, ha we have this interest in identifying what is the truth, what is the real information. But if you're somebody who kind of is in a fringe area, a fringe opinion, mm -hmm. um, you know, vaccines are killing us or whatever, and you believe this in your heart, and there's a rumor guard that could push back against that. How likely are you to seek an alternative view? Well, that's what we're hoping to change with this campaign, is we're trying to bring awareness to these resources. We've done a lot of mobile workshops um, and things like that to show people that these things do exist. But we're also trying to um, appeal to people who would use them and try to tell them that these are things you can send to people you know in those fringe areas. Um, and that's the connection that you can often have. Because we did find research that people are more likely to listen to people that they trust, like community leaders or their friends and family. So having that link between the friends and family and the the Rumor Guard um, website and things like that is what we're trying to really enforce here. So what are the biggest uh, areas of misinformation right now from your perspective? Where do you see the most information flowing? It's kind of everywhere, unfortunately, but we've seen a lot of um, health misinformation related to the pandemic, to vaccines. Um, we've seen a lot of environmental misinformation with climate change, like you referenced at the beginning. Um, we've also seen things with, like, obviously politics, voting rights, things like that um, have been big, big topic areas. Yeah, I always worked in genetic engineering, so I'm, I'm a molecular biologist. I understand that area very well. Mm -hmm. And it really has changed in the last, last ten, five years, which means I did a good job <laughs> <laughs> cleaning up the mess. How much of this boils down to trust? And, and how much do you talk about trust in what you do? A lot of it boils down to trust. Um, you know, that's why, you know, it's important to bring in community leaders um, and people that other people trust. Um, you know, because a lot of people, there are people that trust everything they see online and there are people that trust nothing that they see online and there are people that trust only things that align with their beliefs. So part of that ties into, like, you know, bringing in community leaders who can be opinion leaders and, you know, trusted voices that can help expose people to, you know, opinions that they may not have originally thought of or sources that they may not have initially seen. 
We've also tried to meet people where they are because um, we want people to trust us as well. We know that misinformation can kind of be um, a heated topic depending on who you're interacting with. So we've tried to um, just show that we're listening to people and that we also care about what they have to say. Yeah, and that's why we we set up a board and asked, why do you care about the truth? So when people are coming to learn about um, the movement that we're trying to start, we also ask them, well, how do you think misinformation affects you and what prompts you to like take action and what do you care about when it comes to finding um, ways to stop misinformation? And so some people have put down like non-partisan objective reporting, but some people put, I want to keep my family safe. Some people put that they want um, their family to like get the full history when it comes to education so it's it's affecting people in a lot of different ways and we're we're starting to hear so this is a competition so how do they judge who's most effective so our campaign is ending march 6th and from there we put together a whole campaign book um, detailing everything that we've done and all of the research that we found so after that um, those books are sent off to the judges and they evaluate um, how our campaign delivered in terms of metrics and then also um, the originality and the creativity behind it very good. And then so after the campaign ends, you just, you know, say, well, check that box. Let's move on to something else. Or are you really committed to creating a change in the way people consume information? I guess you got to say yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, what are your long-term thoughts on that? I don't, I didn't mean to kind of paint you into a corner there. Like, what, how do, what, does this tie in with what you might do in your careers? Definitely. I think with the, the increasing technologies that we're seeing as well, I think misinformation will continue to be an issue. Um, and it's become something that I'm really passionate about personally, so it's definitely something that I'll take forward both personally and professionally um, as, I, as I continue. And although like some of our personal campaign efforts, like our website and stuff, they we cannot continue to use those after our campaign ends on March 6th. You know, part of our, our efforts have been like indirecting people to the news literacy project, you know, empowering them to like take that extra step with these workshops so that our impact can continue after March 6th, you know. Just bringing this awareness to people, empowering them to, to do their part and hoping that it continues after yeah, it, it certainly is strange times because I'll tell you, as a professor and as somebody who really dedicated himself to teaching and giving people information, I never thought that my job would really become protecting people from false information. Mm -hmm. And it really is a very different perspective because it, it's uh, kind of going backwards from where we were. But nonetheless, well, thank you very much for what you do as Hannah, Courtney, and Tammy. And uh, if people want to read about you online or what you do, where can they find more information? Yeah, so um, you can find more information um, about our resources and our efforts at uh, factbeforeyouact.com or on our social media platforms at factbeforeyouact. Um, and after March 6th, um, you can find more information at newslit.org. Um, you can check Rumor Guard. You can see their informable app. You know, they have a lot of great resources available for, you know, you to to provide you with the tools to to verify your information very good well i wish you all the best you're very well spoken and, and i appreciate what you do and this is really great i'm very happy that we were able to spend the time today so thank you thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for, for having, having us, us. Oh. <laughs> that was great <laughs> <laughs> you've been listening to talking biotech sponsored by calabra the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools with Calabra's Electronic Lab Notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.